The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is What the Heck with Mike Heck on MMAFighting.com. Now, here is your host, Mike Heck. What the heck? Well, hello there, everybody. and Welcome to an all-new edition of What the Heck here on MMAFighting.com. Hope you're all rested and recovered from the craziness of UFC 261, which went down Saturday night in Jacksonville, Florida. The fans were back. They were loud. They were on fire. There were some things I could have done without. The The wooing was back. I didn't miss that very much. There was some certain behaviors towards certain fighters on the card that wasn't great. But all in all, it was pretty surreal hearing the fans in that way for the first time in over a year. But three title fights, two champions retained, Valentina Shevchenko with an incredible performance in her stoppage of Jessica Andrade, as good as you can do it. I know the storylines, the hype are kind of behind the other two title fights, but Valentina Shevchenko was absolutely phenomenal. She deserves a ton of credit. She is going to be a tough out for anybody for a long time at 125 pounds. Kamar Usman knocked out Jorge Mazdal in the main event in the second round. Man, that was just wild. I mean, that's going to be more than likely on the short list for knockout of the year at the end of 2021. And if it's not on the short list, that means we're going to see some absolutely ridiculous knockouts the rest of this year. But what a performance by Usman. And then Rose Namajunas stops Zhang Wei Li in the first round with that beautiful head kick to recapture the strawway title. Title fights are really interesting. They ended in dominant and violent fashion. Of course, some scary stuff in the middleweight bout between Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman. By now, you all know what happened. You probably have all seen it. It was just nasty. It was gruesome. You don't want to see that happen to anybody. 
but he had successful surgery on his leg on Sunday. He was told, and he said this on Instagram, he's going to be on crutches for eight weeks before he can walk on his own. He could be back to training in six to 12 months, he was told. And I really hope that's the case. I mean, whether he comes back and fights or not, that's one thing, but I just want him to be in the best place possible. Like he could walk around. He's as healthy as he can be. And I know I'm not alone on this, but we wish him all the best. I will say I did reach out to Uriah Hall's team to try to get him on the show this week. He's taking some time off. He's going on vacation at this point. He feels like between talking to Joe Rogan, talking to the media in the back on Saturday, he feels like he said all he needs to at this point. And I've said this many times already. You got to feel for Uriah Hall too. It's unfortunate what happened to Chris Weidman, but I know how much this fight meant to Uriah Hall. Chris Weidman was the first man to defeat him back in 2010. This fight was nearly 11 years in the making. Hall wanted this fight very badly. He was looking forward to it. It's something that that first loss, something he's been stewing on for a long time. He felt this was a winnable fight. And I mean, he got the win, but certainly not the way he would have wanted. So you definitely got a feel for him. And then the main card kicked off. Anthony Smith, he looked great in his fight with Jimmy Crute. That one ended in unfortunate circumstances as well. Another leg injury. This wasn't as severe, but it was still bad for Jimmy Crute, referee, and the doctors. The doctor specifically stopped the fight before the second round. Jimmy Crute wanted to go. He was yelling. He was screaming. He was game. But he just couldn't put weight on that leg. Anthony Smith gets the win. And that fight was awesome for as long as it lasted. But we'll be talking more about UFC 261 on the show. We got four great guests. Let us run down the lineup and we'll get right into it. Wrapping us up, if you missed it due to all the UFC 261 craziness, I had the chance to speak with the former UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir to recap his pro boxing debut on the Triller card. He fought Steve Cunningham, went the distance, six rounds, lost a decision, and we discussed the fight, the judges fighting for Triller, Oscar De La Hoya's commentary, which you could hear during the fight, if he'd fight for Triller again, and much more. A uh, couple quick warnings before you see that. One, the interview happened on Wednesday or Thursday of last week. So there is a UFC 261 question in there, so ignore that. The other, I was helping my parents get rid of some stuff before they put their house in the market in Boston. So the interview took place there, not here. The sound and the video quality isn't what you're typically used to seeing but uh it's still a great interview with frank Mir. you'll hear that at the end of the show ryan bader's gonna join us the bellator heavyweight champion he advanced to the semifinals of the light heavyweight grand prix with a win over leota machida he has his next opponent lined up that is another former ufc fighter Corey anderson we discussed that the whole grand prix everything going on with him darth bader will join us later on speaking of ufc 261 one half of the fight of the night on Saturday. Jeff Molina will join us to recap that crazy fight with Arichi Lang, his first UFC win, first UFC bonus. And uh, looking forward to that conversation. We're going to kick things off with the man who was in attendance Saturday night, a man who had a vested interest in the main event for the welterweight title in Jacksonville, back on the show and kicking us off this week, Colby Covington. All right, kicking us off this week is a man whose name was brought up an awful lot during the UFC 261 fight week, and he wasn't even fighting on the card. So, of course, he made headlines when Dana White said before the main event between Kamara Usman and Jorge Masvidal went down, and it was reiterated after Usman's knockout win that the next fight to make for the welterweight title is the rematch 
between Usman and my guest at this time, Colby Chaos Covington, who is kind enough to join us right now. Colby, thank you for doing this, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. You know, we started this thing a long time ago together, and it's good to still be here today at the top of the game, number one in the world, chasing world title fights and world championships. So it's a pleasure to speak to you again. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I know you haven't done a lot of interviews since the win over Tyron Woodley in September, but I guess, how are you, man? Like, it's been a minute. What's been going on in the life of Colby Covington and the uh, the world of Colby Covington Incorporated over the last several months? Yeah, it's it's been a great couple months. You know, we just, we've been working hard in the, in the gym tirelessly, you know, just working on the evolution of our game and just making sure that we're well-rounded and we're ready to go and, and staying ready on a moment's notice at all times. So, you know, things didn't fall my way in the fight world. I didn't get the fights that, that I thought I was going to get in the time I was going to get them. I stayed ready for the for those backup fights in case someone fell out. But now it's time for round two with, with Marty Juiceman, you know, the, the CEO of EPO. So I can't wait to get back in there with him. And I just love all the hype he's getting as being, the you know, the greatest fighter of all time, the pound for pound number one. So it's just going to make it that much more credible when I go out there and smash him next time around. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this because d were you supposed to, did the UFC want you to be the backup for the fight on Saturday? Cause I know Dana brought it up like briefly at the post fight press conference said Usman may have had a, had a problem with that in some way. Like what, what happened? Were, were you supposed to be the backup fighter for that? Yeah, I was supposed to, but you know, Marty Juiceman and street Judas, that fragile guy from, from Miami, you know, they both refused it. They said, Hey, if anybody gets injured or has to pull out last minute, we're not fighting Colby. It's a stylistic change. And we're not ready for that stylistic change on short notice. So, you know, it's pretty clear to me and it's clear to the fans, you know, who's been hiding from me and, and who's running. And, you know, these guys are scared of me right now. So I'm just waiting to get a hold of one of them now. And that's Marty Juiceman. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't take too long on the sidelines. I know he's saying that he needs some time with his daughter and he wants some time off, but you know, it's time for round two. Don't delay this any more than it needs to be. So obviously there's, there's a lot to discuss with you. First off, you were in the building on Saturday, the first event in over a year in a sold out arena before we get into what happened in the fight. Um, and how that affects you, obviously, what was it like being there and, and just seeing the fans back? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. The only reason I went out there was for the fans. You know, there's a reason I'm the people's champion and, you know, the people love me and I love the people. So I, I kind of wanted to feel that energy with the crowd and their arena again and and really just some normalcy, you know, some normalcy back in our lives. You know, it's been the scandemic and they're keeping us locked down and quarantine and this and that. So it was good to get back in the building with people and interact and have that normalcy back in our lives. Big thank you to Dana White for making it happen. And Ronnie D, Ron DeSantis, the best governor in America right now, you know, making it all possible so we could go back to Florida with the UFC and put on some great fights for the fans and and have the fans back doing what they regularly do. And that's fun. Be entertained and enjoy the show. Was that a camouflage suit you were wearing on Saturday? Was that what that was? That's right. That was a camouflage suit for all my friends in the military and law enforcement. You know, nothing but love for those guys. Everybody knows I fight for the troops and, you know, I inspire, I'm inspired by them and motivated by them. And they give me a lot of my purpose every day in my training and, and my purpose when I step into the octagon that I'm fighting for those that fight for us and fight for our freedoms and sacrifice their lives so, for the red, white, and blue. So we can, you know, live our free lives here in America. So let's go back to 
sort of like the middle of fight week because Dana White was was doing a bunch of interviews, a lot of media throughout the build to the card and talking about the fight between Uzan and Mazadal. And he said essentially that, listen, we're giving Mazadal the rematch, but then after that, Colby gets the winner. So how did you react to that statement and, and that vote of confidence from the big boss that you were next in line, at least in his eyes? Uh, yeah, it, it was good. It was, uh, you know, that's, it, but you know, it's, it's one step, you know, we still got to get Marty and Ali Abdullah Slee's on the other hook. You know, those guys, they're refusing to fight me. You know, they, uh, there's a reason he ran it back right away with that fragile guy, street Judas Mosfidal. They knew it was an easy lick, an easy payday. You know, the guy's got almost 20 losses on his record. He, he's literally the definition of journeyman. So, you know, Jorge, we found out, you know, he's fragile. He has no chin. So, you know, of, of course he wanted to expose all that hype in front of the world. And good job. You guys did that. But now who are you going to fight? There's no one else. There's no other lightweights for Marty and Ali to pick. There's no other former teammates that are a, another blown up lightweight that you guys can beat on. It's time for round two with Colby Covington and Marty Juiceman. And, you know, this is going to be really uh, the test of two of the best fighters of all time in this weight class. Okay, so you were there, you were right there to watch it all play out on Saturday night. And Usman won the first round, no surprise. Mazadal was was taking some shots. He was smiling, got taken down. He worked his way back up. And it seemed like he might have had like a little bit of momentum headed into the second round. And then Usman knocked him cold with that big right hand. And most people thought like if the fight was going to end in that way, it would have been the other way. Were you surprised the way the fight actually ended? No, I wasn't really surprised. Uh, you know, I, I noticed that there, I mean, George, first off, that fragile dude, Street Judas Mosfidal, you know, he doesn't like to train. He has no work ethic. I mean, his everyday life, Mike, that guy's, you know, popping pills, doing freaking drugs, partying, you know, cheating on his wife, you know, lying to his kids. So the guy's just a piece of shit, you know, and, and finally things caught up to him. Karma bit him in the ass and, you know, he, he's getting older now. What's he almost 40 years old now? So the guy's past his time. He shouldn't even be in there at the top of the level. And Marty realized that, you know, he took him down because, you know, that fragile guy, Street Judas Mosfidal has no takedown defense, took him down, get him gassed, get, get him tired, get him gassed out. And then boom, started swinging haymakers. So I knew it was just a matter of time until he's going to catch him with a big shot. And, you know, it's, it, you know, it's nothing special just because Marty beat this journeyman, you know, with a bunch of hype on him. It's, it's nothing special. I didn't, I wasn't impressed with that with that fight. You know, if anything, dude, I saw a lot of weaknesses in his game, Mike. You know, of course, the media is not going to talk about the weaknesses. They want to just talk about the strength and this crazy knockout and this and that, and this new evolved game of his. But, you know, I saw him get tired in that first round. You know, he was swinging heavy and he got in the wrestling exchange and he was tired when he got back to his feet. So if he fights me like that, Mike, I promise you it will be and new. So when you when people are starting to compare him to George St. Pierre right now, what is what is your reaction to that? Because like it's it's either like he's on the road there or some people think he's there and some people look at like the different sorts of generations of the sport and say that, you know, with the streak he's on, the guys he's fought, you know, the game has evolved so much at this point, like maybe he surpassed George St. Pierre. So what what are your thoughts on those comparisons at this point in his run? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really know much about GSP's uh, run. Like, I don't know how many title fight wins he had. So, you know, I don't know if you want to compare that to, you know, Usman's title fight wins. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of fights. You know, that fight with me and Usman, you know, you can't. That's not a definitive win. You know, he's, he should be one to rematch and prove the critics wrong on that fight because, you know, I was winning most of that fight. You know, it was an early stoppage. It was a bad stoppage. There was a ton of terrible breaks in that fight. The nut shot, 
you know, that he called when I kicked him in the liver. That's a momentum change. So, you know, that, that wasn't, that, that wasn't a win, you know, that's not a real win. If I would have won like that, I would have wanted to rematch right away and prove to the critics, prove to all the doubters, prove to all the media that, you know, that's not the way you win. That's not a convincing win. And, and I wouldn't be satisfied with that. So, you know, hopefully Marty, Marty will want to come back and rematch soon and, and uh, won't be hiding from me for too much longer. So I probably got like 25 to 30 DMs on Instagram earlier last week when you posted that photo with a, with a woman and people were asking me like, who is that? And I didn't even know how to respond. Who was that? Man, that's so embarrassing, Mike. You know, that, that was the mother of his two children. The, his, his wife still right now to this day, because they haven't legally got the divorce yet. So that was that fragile dude, Judas Mosfidal's wife and mother of his two children. And you know, what's disgusting about that, Mike, is the reason I put that up because first off, we go back, you know, 10 years. So she's a family friend of mine. You know, I met her before George and she's always been good to me, you know, and a good lady. So, you know, I'm, she's just a friend who we were just catching up talking and, and it's so crazy because after we hung out, I went and looked in, on Google and I looked on the internet and I'm like, type in the Google search, Jorge's wife, Jorge's uh, mother of his children. And they tried, that fragile dude, Judas Mosfidal, tried to scrub the internet of his own wife and mother of his two children and say that the his manager's daughter, Iman Kawa, was the, was the wife of his, wife of him and, and the mother of his children. So you know, I was just putting some truth out there, Mike, some facts, you know, so you, you can't run from or hide from the truth or facts. You know, that was Jorge Masvidal, that fragile dude's wife. And that that's the mother of his children. You can't hide that. No more lying to the people. So what, what, what made you want to post that picture? Oh, just, you know, just to let him know, you know, that, hey, man, I, I see you, dude. I see how fake you are. You know, I see that you tried to literally erase her from existence, bro. Like that's the mother of your children. She's carrying your kids. I know the piece of shit you are that you fragile motherfucker, George Mosfidal. I know how fragile, I know the piece of shit you are to your, to your wife, to, to your two kids. You know, I know how much stress you're creating in their lives and the things that you're making their lives, you know, that much harder. So, you know, I was just, I just wanted to put it in front of his face, Mike, and let him know that, you know, you, you can't run from the truth or hide from the truth anymore. I'm going to expose you to your fakeness. He did an interview with ESPN with with Ariel leading up to the fight, and he talked about the situation between the two of you guys. He basically said like both of you guys got kicked out of ATT after like a, a, a near skirmish or something, but then he got brought back into the fold and you weren't. And I know you've kind of told your side of the story, but can you can you give a reaction to what to what Jorge was saying about you know both of you guys got kicked out? They wanted to bring him back and just kind of let you do your own thing. Yeah, I can give you an elaboration, Mike, into truth, into facts, in the real side of the story. Because once again, that fragile dot, dude, Judas Masvidal, is not telling the facts, not telling the truth of the story. He would come into the gym every day I'm training, you know, getting ready for my fight with Usman, screaming across the gym, oh, Colby, I'm going to fuck you up, I'm going to baptize you, blah, 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 and just make a scene. So, like, none of the pro fighters could train. It was disrupting the training. So Dan Lambert, you know, he had to make a decision. He's like, hey, you guys are both out. This is creating too much problems over at the gym and, and it's messing up the chemistry. So you guys are gone. So a couple of weeks go by. He's still begging to go back, blah, blah, blah. Finally, Dan decides to bring him back. And he also wanted to bring me back. And he's like, hey, Colby, you know, I'd like you to come back. You know, the pandemic's starting or it's, you know, it's it's over. And, and uh, 
you know, I, I made a, a mistake. I, I want you back on the team. But I said, Dan, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I'm not going back. You know, it wasn't a good situation for me over at that gym, ATT. You know, there was a lot of drama, a lot of people starting stuff. But you know what's funny about it, Mike, is all these people starting stuff, they only scream at me when coaches are in between them across the gym. If they really wanted to do something, Mike, they would have came up to me face to face. Like Dustin Sori, oh, it's on site when I see Colby. Dustin, you know it's not on site. I'll put you down so quickly. You were you were my easy rounds. When I got tired, I'd go with you just to play with you like my little dummy. So if it was really on site, you would have came up to me. And that fragile that dude, Judas Masvidal, same thing. If you really were about that life, you come up to me. You try and start some shit. But no, you just want to talk to the media like you're all big, build yourself up. But that's not the truth. And the truth is not what you tried to say that, oh, they didn't invite Colby back. They just wanted him back. No, they wanted me back too, Mike. But I didn't want to go back. I had better coaches over at Colby Covington Incorporated and MMA Masters. You know, my jiu-jitsu coach, Daniel Valverde, we've been really working really hard on, on my submissions. And I just feel like I'm a finishing machine. I feel on top of the world. This is the best jiu-jitsu coach I've ever had. It just so happens he's a judo coach. Very good trips and good takedowns. So I'm learning a lot there from him too. And then my kickboxing coach, uh, Cesar Carnero, we just worked so hard on timing and just really sitting down on our punches and, and just being a, efficient with my with my energy and really maximizing my volume. So I just feel like I'm on another level with him. And my uh, strength and conditioning coach, Jonathan Lopez, amazing strength and conditioning coach. That guy's a wizard, and he's really just taking my cardio as the cardio king to the next level. So I'm thankful for my situation. I didn't want to go back, and, and that's the facts. That's truth. And you can go ask Dan Lambert. Not too long ago, it seemed like the fight between you and Mazadal was was going to happen. I mean, he got he ended up getting the title fight. I'm curious, like what happened there, because it seemed like after you beat Tyron Woodley, there was talks about Mazadal maybe running it back with Nate. And then as soon as you beat Tyron, it was like, nope, we're not doing that. We're going to do Mazadal versus Covington. There was rumors out there about maybe the two of you guys coaching the resurgence of the ultimate fighter. It seemed like this is the direction everybody wanted to go. What happened with that from your perspective? Well, not just from my perspective, Mike, what happened from the UFC perspective, from Dana White's perspective, Hunter Campbell's perspective is the truth. You know, plain and simple, that fragile dude, Judas Masvidal, did not want to fight me. After I beat Woodley, they were trying to match us up in October, November, December. You know, he would refuse every month. No, I'm not fighting Colby. No, I don't like that matchup. Oh, he's too tough for me. Oh, we used to train. Blah, blah, blah. So he's talking all this smack in the media, saying he's going to baptize me, saying he's doing this on site. But then when it's time to fight an octagon for millions of dollars, you know, oh, now you don't want to fight? You know, now, now you're scared? So they couldn't get that fight together, plain and simple, Mike. And, and the last ditch effort they tried to make was making us the ultimate fighter coaches. But plain and simple, he said, no, I, I don't want to be ultimate fighter coaches against him. I don't want to fight Colby. You know, I want, if I want a rematch or I want to fight Nate Diaz or some other light, lightweight or washed up scrub. So, you know, everybody knows who's my son. You know, that fragile that dude, Judas Masvidal is my son. I am his father, and he knows who daddy is. And now all his hype is gone. Ten seconds of fame are out of here, and, you know, we're never going to fight. I have nothing to prove to him. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to starch Marty Fake Newsman, and it's on to bigger and better things. So the, the way Dana White was speaking throughout the week, I thought we might see you get in that octagon with Usman, kind of do the uh, – like a flashback to the early days of the UFC where the next guy walks in and they do the face-off. Why didn't we see that? We didn't see that because Marty didn't want it. And just like he doesn't want this fight. He does not want round two. If I was the easy lift, Mike, he would have came after me to rematch me right away. There's a reason he took the easy payday with that fragile dude, 
Judas Masvidal, you know, he, he knew it was an easy fight. The guy's got almost 20 losses on his record. He's a journeyman, and Marty knew that. So Marty's been in there with me. He knows how tough I am. He knew I took multiple rounds off him, concussed him, wobbled him, almost had it finished if he, if he didn't fake a timeout and have to get a breather. So he knows how tough I am, and he's refusing to fight me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. He, he'd rather retire, honestly, than get round two with me locked in that octagon. Do you think this fight happens? I don't know. I hope so. I'm, I want it. There's nothing more that I want. I want to rewrite my wrongs. I want to prove to the world that I'm a better fighter than him. And I want to prove to the world that I'm the greatest pound for pound fighter in the world right now. So I hope it happens. If it doesn't happen, it'll only be because of him that he doesn't want to fight. He might walk away from the sport or, you know, I need more time with my daughter or this and that. So, you know, you know, I hope it happens, but we'll have to see. Have you talked to Dana? On, did you talk to Dana on Saturday or have you talked to him since Saturday about this? Yeah, I talked to him a little bit Saturday after the fight. He's like, yeah, you're next. We're going to make that fight. We're going to get that fight done. So it's the fight to make, man. It's it's what the fans want. It's what Dana White, the UFC wants. You know, even State, Stephen A. Smith was out there on first take this morning campaigning for that fight. So he even knows that that's the fight to make. So, you know, I, I'm ready to go. You know, I, I, we don't need to delay this any more than it needs to be. You know, hopefully he'll be back in Florida, you know, doing a favor for Ron DeSantis, for him doing a favor for us and let us be the first, first sport back with fans. So, you know, ho hopefully we get it done sooner than later. Yeah, I mean, there are I mean, there's there's some interesting matchups coming up in your division. Of course, Leon Edwards fighting Nate Diaz, May 15th. Gilbert Burns is fighting Stephen Thompson on July 10th. You know, Usman fought Edwards a few years ago. He's on a nice run. He just beat Gilbert Burns. He hasn't fought Nate or Wonderboy yet. So. Is there any part of you concerned that one of these guys could could jump the queue, so to speak? No, not at all. I mean, Dana White made a promise to me. You know, Hunter Campbell, they, they made promises to me. The, you know, I, I know these guys wouldn't break their promises. I know these guys are men of their word. You know, these are good, good, hardworking men, blue-collar men, you know, that have, that have rise up to the top of the industry. So, you know, I think I take these guys' word at, at what they said. And, and, you know, everybody knows I'm number one in the world. I'm number one in the rankings. You can't deny that. That's facts. So this is the fight that needs to happen. You know, Marty should want to jump at this fight right away, man. You should want to prove to the critics and the doubters, you know, that, oh, you're the best in the world. You're the convincing. You want to be the pound for pound number one. You want to be the GOAT. You got to go through me again and prove to the world that that wasn't a fluke because it was a fluke. You know, I was winning that fight, early stoppage, fake timeouts, this and that. So let's go, Marty Juiceman. Stop, stop wasting time. We know you're the CEO of EPO but it's time to get exposed in front of the world. The stars are out in full force on Saturday night, Colby. You were there. Some of the UFC's biggest names were there. Tom Brady was out there with the uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, and even Jake Paul was in the building, had the little run-in with DC, uh, Octagon side. I don't know if you were out there for that, but I mean, what have you made of this Jake Paul phenomenon? I've been dying to ask you about this. The fight with Ben Askren did reportedly a million and a half pay-per-view buys. What have you made with this, him being at the event and, and everything that's going on with him? You know, everything that's going on with him is hilarious. This guy's an amateur. You know, Snake Paul is literally a bum. You know, he's a Disney YouTube star. You know, he's not a real fighter. He's he's an amateur. He's a nobody. You know, I'd literally smack the pubes off his face. But, you know, what I make of his, him is he's just, you know, looking to get hype and, and build himself up as a real fighter. He's not a real fighter, Mike. This guy's a nobody from the streets. That last fight with Ben Askren was a work. They made that a fix. Askren took a dive for the money, and that's that. You know, I, I don't really take much more from that circus of Triller. You know, it's literally a circus. You know, it's the clown show. So 
No one's got time on their Saturday night with at midnight to listen to an hour fucking special by Justin Bieber in between fights. Come on, this is a joke. This is joke time. So let's get back to the real business, like the UFC, you know, where we got real stars coming out. Tom Brady, Cuba Gooden Jr., you know, Mike Evans was in attendance, a couple other NFL players, a bunch of UFC fighters, and, you know, just back to normalcy and back to regular life, you know, fans in the arena, energy, electricity, and, you know, the, the best entertainment show in the world. What if he starts calling your name? He's calling out Mazadal. He's called out Connor. Looks like Tyron Woodley wants that fight now, your old buddy. What if he starts saying your name? I, I'm shocked he hasn't, if we're being honest. You're shocked, Mike? I'm shocked he hasn't said your name, even just for, for hype purposes. I'm, su- I'm surprised, honestly. No, he wouldn't do that, Mike. He's not <laughs> that stupid. He's only looking for old, retired, washed-up fighters. He's not looking for a guy in his prime who's the top of the weight class who can actually throw hands. He's looking for wrestlers, jiu-jitsu fighters, you know, guys that supposedly did MMA, but they're literally, you know, 40 and 50-year-old virgins, you know? He's not going to call out someone that actually knows how to fight. Nick Diaz is there on Saturday as well. Did uh, Did you run into him in any way? He was, he was a couple seats down from me front row, but you know, he knows better than that than to pipe up to me, you know, I'm, you know, he's a stock of soy boy, you know, he's not going to mess with MAGA bombs, you know, and, and someone was asking me, they're like, Oh, you think Nick's, Nick's going to fight again? I'm like, I don't know. He might, you know, he, if he does, it's just going to be a cash grab. It's not going to be anything like he's a legit threat to anyone. And if he, if honestly, like you saw Tom Brady in the building, you saw Cuba Gooding Jr. in the building, you saw all these other a-list celebrities in the building and you, and well, and it's like, are they getting in the octagon? Probably not. So, you know, I don't, I don't believe Nick Diaz is getting in the octagon as likely as the Tom Brady is going to get in the octagon. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady in the octagon, I don't want to see that. Let Tom Brady sling that football down the field. He won us a lot of championships here in new England and uh, he's, he's the goat. No doubt about that. So as far as you go in this title shot, the rematch that you're hoping to get, when do you want that? I mean, I, I assume you want this fight to happen as soon as possible. Maz, uh, Usman just fought twice in like 70 something days. Things are starting to fill up pay-per-view main event wise and title fight wise. Has a date even been discussed at all? Like a time frame? anything? Yeah, I was talking with Hunter Campbell today, you know, and, uh, you know, we were talking about a date, August, September. I think that's something that makes sense for Marty. It gives him, you know, four, five, six months to, to get ready for it. So. You know, that hopefully it's August, September. You know, I, I don't want to delay it later in the year and talk to over November. You know, just let's get this out of the way, you know, especially because Marty Juiceman was saying in the lead up to this fight, oh, I want to fight two or three more times this year. So he said it himself, Mike, he wants to fight two or three more times this year. I'm the next guy in line. There's no one else to make. And, you know, you didn't take any damage in that fight with that fragile guy, Judas Mosfidal. So you, it was a flawless victory. You took the guy down. You got the big haymaker knockout. Good for you. You didn't take no damage. So there's no excuses to delay this fight any later than September at the absolute latest. Would you consider any other matchup? Like if Usman can't do that date or they, they go a different direction for some reason, is there any other fight you consider at this point or is it title fight or bust? No, I'm, there's a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the money fight in the UFC, man. Usman's not even a draw. He doesn't draw numbers. He doesn't move the needle. The guy's literally a nobody. Yeah, you, you've had a good career. You, you know, you beat some guys that literally were washed up after I beat them. You followed in the footsteps of me, tried to copy my literally carbon copy blueprint. So, you know, I don't see anything special with him. If she doesn't want to fight, you know, I fight for paychecks, man. I, you know, I'm a draw. If the UFC needs me and 
they need to make a big fight, you know, or, or save a card. I'm always ready to fight, man. I stay ready 24 seven, 365. So, you know, I'm just going to keep doing my business. And if the UFC needs me to come step up and fight a big fight, I'm going to come step up and, and prove that I'm the best in the world. Cause that's, that's all I want to do. I'm trying to prove my legacy and my greatness right now. And that's just by fighting the biggest fights in the world. Speaking of, of big names and, and big fights, have you seen Connors trying to get Usman's attention now? Have you seen that on social media over the last couple of days? I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. And, you know, that's obviously just Connor just trying to get some some hype, get some headlines. Come on, dude. The guy just got knocked out by Dustin Sorier. Come on. Are you serious? You, not, you want a title shot at 170? Dude, you're getting beat up by by literally gatekeeper lightweights. And now you want to come to the top of the 170 welterweight division. Everybody knows what Connor's doing. That that's not he's not really gonna do that. He's not gonna come up and fight welterweights. He's just doing that to grab attention, to grab headlines, make people think he's being taken seriously. Because honestly, he's a joke. He's the laughing stock in the MMA community and even to casual fans, because they're just like, man, Connor's washed up. He's done. He made all that money with his whiskey. He made all that money for the Mayweather fight. He has no motivation. Nothing gets him up early in the morning to go fight. So, you know, he, he tries to say it's for his kids, you know, but Man, the guy's done, man. He he has nothing left in the tank. You think Dustin beats him again? Yeah, and, and that's not like saying Dustin Soria is any good or like, you know, is anything special because the guy's not. Like, the guy's a gatekeeper, a lightweight. He's nothing more, you know. All in the big fights, he always get knocked out and beaten. So, you know, he's just, he's a, he's a jobber. That's the definition of what Dustin Soria is. And he's a fake. He's a clown, man. Trying to start that charity and say that he's all about the good fight and, Oh, he's trying to give back to kids. No, it's not. That's a tax write-off for your business. Tell the people the truth, man. I know the real person you are, Dustin Sawyer. You're a piece of shit person behind the scenes. You won't take pictures with fans. You won't do this and that. You don't treat nobody good. You act like you're better than people with the ego. So don't act like you're special just because you beat Conman McGregor after his time and when he was washed up. So last thing, I mean, you're saying hopefully August, September, you're in there. You fight Usman again for the welterweight title. You've said many times since the first fight, you believed you got the big fat hose job from the referee, Mark Goddard, not just for the stoppage of the fight. You mentioned it here, but the stoppages of the action as well. Mazadal got his rematch. You want your rematch. What's the message for Kamar Usman right now? Oh, the message is, you know, you took, you trying to tell me you need activity. I, I came back and won a fight. Did, did George, you know, that fragile guy win a fight when you beat him 50-43. You already beat him convincing, and it was a dominant win. And then you took him rematch right away because you knew it's an easy lick. I came back and won a fight and beat a guy that you beat for the world championship, you know, a former UFC champion. And, you know, I've had three or four of those on my on my resume in my last couple of fights So as wins. So, you know, this is the fight that needs to happen. This is the fight the fans want. Give the people what they want, Marty. You know, give Dana White and the UFC what they want. Come show your greatness. Come prove that you're the welterweight go. Come prove that you're the pound for pound number one. Because I, I know I'm going to stop you. This is going to be a completely different outcome round two. You're not going to have Mark Goddard to save your life, give you fake timeouts for fake nut shots when I kicked you in the liver. That completely changed the momentum of the whole entire fight. I would have finished him right there. No more faking eye poke on the other eye. I barely touched your left eye. You're crying on your right eye for five minutes, getting a break. You know, so there's no more change the momentum and, and no more cheating, you know. It's it's got to be done with Marty Juiceman, the CEO of EPO. Colby, it's been eight months, but we finally got to to catch back up. I truly appreciate it. I think the rematch makes a whole lot of sense at this point. Like you said, people want to see it. Dana wants to see it. And uh, 
all the best to you in getting that fight, Colby. I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this once again. And, and thank you for the time as always. Any, any parting words for the peeps? Oh, parting words for the peeps. is It was great to see you all again. You know, great to have you back in the, in the arena. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for my next fight. I, I'm not going to disappoint. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Colby Covington kicking us off. Never disappoints. It's always an interesting conversation with the former UFC interim welterweight champion. And I can tell you, people want to see this fight. They want to see the rematch with Kamaru Usman. I get people hitting me up on social media all the time. I want to see the rematch. Colby's the number one contender. Let's do it. It makes sense for a number of reasons. This is the fight I picked on, on to the next one. AK Lee did not go with that one. I went with it for, like I said, a number of different reasons. You can go back and check out on to the next one. Me and AK's matchmaking podcast, wherever you can find your favorite podcast, wherever you listen, and you can go back and see why I think this fight makes a lot of sense. But we're going to move ahead to Jeff Molina. Just picked up his first UFC win in Jacksonville and his first UFC bonus on Saturday night. Here he is, Jeff Molina on What the Heck. All right, let us say hello to one of the big winners from this past Saturday's UFC 261 event in Jacksonville, one half of the fight of the night, and what a fight it was. He defeated Arichi Lang via unanimous decision. Jeff Molina joins us right now. Sunglasses on. He's wearing a T-shirt, so that means you're probably still in Florida. How are you, man? I'm good, brother. Yeah, yeah, still in Florida, uh, but yeah, doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Congratulations on the win and the fight, man. It was just so fun to watch. How does it all feel less than 48 hours later as we record this? Feels good, man. It feels good to to get the debut uh, out the way. Um, fight of the night is isn't the type of bonus I want. Uh, I want performance of the night, but man, I, I'll take it. Right, fifty Gs. You got your fifty Gs, and I know you were supposed to debut in January before the the, the COVID test and everything, which obviously sucked for you. But to be able to make that first walk in Jacksonville in front of a fired up crowd like that, I would assume that this was a tremendous consolation prize, was it not? Absolutely, man. Uh, so the the initial debut was scheduled November fourteenth. I signed the contract for it. Uh, I think the day after Contender Series. Uh, yeah, I think it was like twenty four hours after Contender Series. Um, scheduled November fourteenth. Uh, it was the Rook. Um, I had a like a fracture in my leg, but I was still going to fight. Uh, was you know, admitting through training camp, and then the Rook got COVID, so they rescheduled it for January, and then I, I caught the vid. And, 
yeah, that sucked, man. That that sucked. So uh, finally having that debut after back to back to back camps, uh, it felt really fucking good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe the feeling of getting the Bruce Buffer intro in that arena? Like I know you fought many times, been in the martial arts game for many years, but you know the octagon jitters we always hear about. They had to have been there in that moment, right? Like Bruce's. Bruce is saying your name. Everyone's going crazy. Like, were you feeling the jitters before the fight started? Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, so the whole Bruce thing, that it's it's cool as shit, man. Like, uh, I picture that in my head like a million times. But uh, my my teammate Julian Marquez talks about like drawing energy from the crowd. That's never really been something I've done. But I was like, hey, man, I'll try anything once. So um, he told me before the uh, the fight started since this is the first event back with fans to uh, turn to the crowd, raise your arms up and just kind of take some of that energy. in. so I did that. And then I kind of felt the same thing with, uh, with Bruce as, as he was uh, making the, the announcement saying my name, it was like, I was kind of just looking at him and like feeling that, that vibe. So I don't know if it's placebo, but I felt something. I'm not sure what it was, but it was cool. It was cool. And he looked, he looked like a million bucks too. He was on fire all night. Yeah. He was, he was on one, man. Uh, it was kind of cool him introducing my opponent too. my, my opponent has like a cool nickname and yeah, I, I was feeling that and I was like, Oh wait, I can't fuck him. You know, like uh, <laughs> my opponent, we're about to get into a fist fight. Yeah. It, it was, it was a, a beautifully match made fight because with your two styles, cause originally he likes to move forward tough as nails. He's got heart for miles, which was clear in that third round. But you know, most felt you had the technical advantage in the fight. You're obviously a very exciting fight. People still remember the contender series fight. You also have the James Krause cheat code with you, which you didn't have in the contender series fight. So I'm wondering if there was anything that surprised you in the fight from his end. No, man. Um, if anything, it, it helped having known exactly what he was going to do. He was going to try to walk me down, march me down. He has a really good sense of range. Uh, the one thing that did surprise me was his ability to, uh, to get out of the way of, of the, the, the low kick. Uh, the low kick was a huge part of the game plan. And I, I, I think I landed one. Um, so it, it was something that uh, I had to make an adapt or I had to adapt a uh, mid fight. Uh, and again, cheat coach James Krause, he, he told me exactly what to do. He's like, let's, let's cut the, let's cut the calf kick and, and go to something else. And, and that's what we did. Um, but th that was the only thing that surprised me, man. We knew he was going to try to walk me down. That, that wasn't a surprise. And I'm glad we knew that. Um, and, and we also knew he had a good sense of range and, we weren't wrong. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a rough night for the leg kicks, wasn't it? Jeez. Yeah, jeez, man. I wish they would have let us stay in the arena to uh, to watch the rest of the fights, man. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad I didn't see that in person, dude. I, I'm super cringe when it comes to that kind of stuff, so I'm, I'm glad I didn't see that live. Yeah. I heard about it. I had uh, friends and family that came out to support me, which is fucking awesome. Uh, but yeah, they were in the arena and they were just talking about the sound it made, and I was like, ah. Dude. I don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't want to hear about that. How, how many yeah, people came out? Man, uh, I had, uh, some teammates, uh, I think in total it was about like 10, 15 people, man. So I definitely felt the love. That's pretty cool. And we mentioned James, obviously he's had a, a great start to the year from a coaching perspective. We could hear him throughout the first couple of rounds telling you to get off the fence and you seem to get cooking in that second round. The third round was amazing, which we'll talk about in a second, but what was the conversation like in the corner between you and James between the second and third rounds? Because whatever he said, it looked like to have lit a fire underneath you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I'm so glad to have had my coaches, uh, on fight week and, and for the fight like that, that was awesome. That it was, it was cool. It definitely made things easier, but yeah, you said it, man. James Krause is a cheat code. I think he's coached the year. 
Um, just the stable of guys he has. Like, I, I can't think of another coach uh, that would be in contenders besides uh, Trevor Woodman just for the uh, the two title fights uh, from this past weekend. But, man, um, he said everything I needed to hear. And uh, I'm not proud of my performance at, at all. The one thing I am proud of that I did in the fight was my ability to, to adapt um, in battle. I think that that, uh, that in its own is very um, underrated. I think the highest level fighters are able to do that. Like the Cejudo's, uh, like the Henry Cejudo, Marlon Marais fight comes to mind. The uh, DJ is really good at adapting mid fight. Uh, John Jones and I'm naming like world champions and I'm not comparing myself to these guys. And I'm hopefully one day I'll be on their level. But I, I think that, that tool itself is underrated to, to be in mid battle and, and have to change something on the fly. Um, and I did that, man, in between the first and second, uh, I think the cameras picked this up, but I look at James and I'm like, long story short, I, I pretty much say like, dude, this, my shit isn't working. Like my primaries aren't working. What do I do? Uh, I think uh, the cameras picked up the part where I tell him like, help like uh like uh, what, I, I say uh what do, you, what do you want me to do and and he tells me and he tells me and i did just that and that won me the fight man the, the uh you know i'll take some kudos for that to, to be able to to uh be receptive to that type of uh, uh comments and 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 then also on his part to, to tell me what to do man and i did exactly what he told me to and and i started i started landing and it won me the fight why weren't you proud of the performance like i know i know fighters you you guys are so hard on yourselves no matter what happens like if you went out there and knocked them out in 30 seconds like you'd probably still have something to uh to think negatively about but why weren't you proud of the performance uh yeah you're right in that in that aspect right like uh, i think that the, the really good guys are going to be the world's biggest critic regardless if they go out there and, and knock them out in the first 10 seconds but uh there's a lot of things that i could have done better man um uh i just couldn't find my swag in that first round and um, I could have met him with bone on bone earlier, man. Uh, especially when he's crashing into me, me uh, bone on bone, meaning like elbow or knee. Um, we knew that forward pressure was going to be there. And, and, uh, I wish I would have wrestled a bit more, man. I, I feel like my wrestling is underrated or my grappling is underrated. And, uh, I didn't really, didn't really show it. So but there's a lot of things that I'm going to take away from this man. Uh, again, I'm glad to get the debut out of the way, but, uh, this was a learning experience and, oh yeah, not to mention me being a fucking idiot. The last 10 seconds of the fight, trying to be Matt Holloway <laughs> point to this went to the the ground and um and then end up getting rocked like bad like I, w I was hurt at the end of that fight man so um it was just me being stupid um I, <laughs> see when you visualize the fight uh, which I, I do a lot of visualization man i visualize me doing that a million times and every time i visualize it the same thing happened i, I get fucking clipped but uh yeah you know in the third round it's a 10-8 round and some judges even still gave me a 10-8 for that for that round but I got hurt because I was driving my hands and just slugging and, uh, it's very silly to do. I do think it helped me win the 50 G's on one hand. So it's kind of like, like, uh, the fight of the night has to be pretty back and forth. So I think that type of back and forthness that happened in that third where he rocks me at the very end is, uh, is key, but I don't know if 50 G's is worth uh, my longevity in this sport. So, uh, I'm going to learn from this. I won't do that again, but, uh, that's my style, man. My style is bonus friendly. So so, I mean, outside of the final 10 seconds, that third round was bananas, man. I mean, you landed 127 significant strikes. That's Let's the third, third most landed in a round in UFC history. You also landed the most overall significant strikes in the history of the flyweight division. Davis and Figueroa's fight against Brandon Moreno was the winner. You had two less rounds to do it, and you beat him by over 50 significant strikes. So one fight in, you're already in the record books. Despite how the last 10 seconds of that fight went, how does that all feel? Yeah, Davison who? 
No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it feels good, man. It's cool. That's a cool uh, stat. And uh, I saw a tweet that showed like other fighters in, um, that are in the same like category or, or like, um, you know, just good company. I think DJ was on there. Um, I think Holloway was on there. It was cool. That's a cool stat, man. And, uh, and I'm into it. It's obviously good to be in the illustrious company of guys like that. It's probably better to get two checks and a bonus. And I remember, you know, Joe Rogan's interviewing you, you say 50 MF and G's in the post fight right off the bat. You got it for that crazy fight. But as the fight's going on, I'm not sure how much you watch of it. Considering the crazy finishes that, that went down the rest of the way, were you starting to get worried that maybe they would just do four performance bonuses and no fight at night? Were you surprised that you got it? Dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah, every fight. Uh, we were watching it back in the hotel room with my, my coaches. Uh, luckily, the UFC uh, paid for the pay per view and had it on uh, like in the room. Like, so we walked in the room and the fights were playing already. Um, but yeah, every fight, I was like, oh, I hope this is the most boring fight ever. <laughs> like uh, every fight, right before it started, I'm like, dude, I hope, uh, I hope, I hope uh, they just wrestle each other for the for 15 minutes straight. And I was getting really worried with the title fights. I'm like, dude, there's no way like these title fights are gonna be boring. Like, especially Rose and, and Wiley. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was worried until I was told that I won it. So there you go. Yeah, I mean the the title fights are great. Shevchenko was ridiculous. Rose was ridiculous, and then Usman been knocking on Mazda like that man. Like I, I didn't see that coming from a mile away. Like a lot of people. Like if Usman wanted like a, a dominant decision, wouldn't it surprise me? If Mazda knocked Usman out like that, wouldn't it surprise me? But seeing Usman knock Mazda out like that was was yeah, jawing, man. I wonder what, what the odds were. Yeah, yeah, that was that was insane. That was insane um but you can almost see it coming with the, the way masvidal was dropping his hands and trying to like laugh off every strike man like you, you gotta respect the game man and i, and I think masvidal said that too he's like man i screwed up well i'm out to talk i pointed to the ground and slugged with some dude that i shouldn't be doing that with you know <laughs> well you learned a, you learned a valuable lesson but i have to tell you we host a matchmaking podcast on the site. We we record it like the morning after the event and we always like solicit listener suggestions for different matchups. Like we kind of get a gauge of what people want to see, especially from the prelims. You, my friend, got a lot of people excited. There are a lot of people who are ready to see you back in there. So many different matchups were thrown our way. I think you got more than than anybody else, if we're being honest, but you left them wanting more, Jeff, despite how you feel about the performance overall. And I know you just fought. I know you're on vacation right now, sort of smelling the roses, but perfect world. Have you thought about when you want to get back in there? Are there any matchups that have caught your eye? Yeah, yeah. Um, I did have a, a matchup in mind that I wanted, but uh, dude retired. Uh, I wanted to fight Jimmy Flick or, or the winner of the, the Flick Figueroa fight. I'm still down. I forgot who Figueroa is fighting, but uh, the, the not the actual Figueroa, but the the great value figure. Uh, I'll fight the winner of, of that fight. Um, I'm into it. I like that matchup, but man, I really don't care. Um, I'll leave it up to my coaches. If, if they like it, I like it. So I'll, I'll say yes to anything as long as they, they say yes first. So there you go, uh, as far as when, when I want to be back, um, there's uh, I went into this fight with, the, with a couple, a uh, couple injuries uh, that I want to get checked out. But if everything's good to go, nothing serious, then ASAP. And you want to be on another pay-per-view again, right? Like we got to do this in front of crowds as, as much as possible. Cause you, I mean, you were on the contender series, no crowd, but having your debut in front of a, in front of a crowd like that, I'm sure you want that feeling uh, a lot more moving forward. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, no? you know, I'll fight in front of five people again or, or 15,000. Don't get me wrong. The, the experience was, was, was sick, man. It, it was one for the record books, as I say, but man, I got to experience it. Uh, once is enough for me. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more 
um, of those experiences, but I don't care where it is. If it is Apex again, I'll fight there. If it's in Singapore, like it was originally supposed to be, I'll fight there. Um, I want experiences, and since I already experienced it, well, I'm okay if it doesn't happen again. But man, I don't really care where I fight. Fight to fight, uh, whether it's in front of Dana and five other people or 15,000. Jeff Molina, a very exciting up-and-comer in the UFC's flyweight division. That division is great. I can't believe they tried to get rid of that division a few years ago, but Jeff Molina is an exciting guy. A lot of fun potential matchups are in his future. What a fight that was on Saturday. I'm excited to see what is next for him. We know what's next for Ryan Bader. He's going to take on Corey Anderson later on this year in the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. And... I wanted to get his thoughts on a number of topics, including Scott Coker saying, you know what? We're going to do an interim heavyweight title fight. We don't do interim titles here, but we're going to do one for the heavyweight division. So let's talk to Ryan Bader about that and much more right now. All right, we move ahead to the reigning Bellator heavyweight champion who recently advanced to the semifinals of the light heavyweight Grand Prix. A unanimous decision went over Leo Machida, and now he is set to meet Corey Anderson in the next round later on this year. Let us say hello to Ryan Bader. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm doing well. What about you? Doing great. It's uh, it's great to have you here. First fight of 2021 is in the books. You took on a super tough guy, a legend in Leona Machida, someone you were obviously quite familiar with. You get the win. How does it feel to get back in the win column and spend 25 minutes in there with the guy who got a win over you several, several years prior? Yeah, it was good. You know, obviously want to get that win back and uh he's a tricky guy you know and so i didn't want to make the same mistakes as i did the first time and so uh you know that we knew the first round we kind of had to with the chill out basically and not get you know not rush in like i did the first time i ended up getting knocked out um in 2012 and so um saw what i saw that at the end of that round what i needed and then kind of started taking uh <clears throat> control of that fight and kind of go from there his durability, even at this stage in his career, is is pretty unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you, were there, you were landing some big shots, and I'm sure you weren't overly surprised, but were you surprised that he was able to go the full 25 with you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting that, you know, after, you know, the fourth, fifth round. Um, we were expecting him to be tricky and elusive and all that kind of stuff, but, um, you know, I was on top of him, kind of put a beating on him, and he, he would not. A lot of guys, like, look for a way out, you know, give you a position, and and, um, you know, he started raining down punches and they'll kind of look for that way out. And he never did, you know, he took those, he was trying to fight back the whole time, you know, at the very end, there was like a minute 50 left, you know, he was, he was pretty tired. He was laying there. Then he just comes back with a back elbow and hits me right in the nose. I was like, Oh, come on now. Yeah. But he, that I, I was surprised. I know he's, you know, he's a veteran. He's a tough guy. You know, he's been in there with everybody, but, um, I was surprised about how durable he was and wanted to have that will to keep fighting. This is the the second one of these Grand Prix that you've been a part of, and I really love them. I feel like it elevates things to another level, especially, you know, this one with some of the names that are involved, and the heavyweight one was, was really crazy too with some of the names there. But, you know, after being in this game for so long, being a part of these tournaments, sort of knowing what your next move is going to be ahead of time, outside of, like, when the actual fights are going to happen, do you enjoy these? Like, is it a little bit yeah. refreshing to be a part of these Grand Prix? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I, I enjoyed the the heavyweight Grand Prix because I knew, you know, I knew the dates basically, and and uh, I mean not exactly who, but you can look in that bracket who you could potentially face. So you start 
you start, you know, diving into these guys and you're able to, you know, uh, be a step ahead. And I, I love the the timing because I know, you know, this year, granted, I keep winning. I'm going to fight, you know, in July and October. Whereas if I had just a title fight, um, you'd fight and then, you know, who's next? We don't know. It could be, you know, three months. It could be a year later we're fighting again. So I like it just keeps me refreshed. It keeps me focused the whole time. So it's not there. I never have a time where I'm like, Oh, I don't have a fight on the horizon. I know I do. So that's why I love these tournaments. I love looking at, and the fans do too, the bracket, who's in there, who the possible matchups are. And so um, I have a lot of fun with these. You were in attendance for Corey Anderson's win a couple of weeks ago. He'll obviously be next for you in this tournament. What did you think of his performance, you know, sitting not too far away from it? Yeah, he looked great. Um, the only thing is the the guy he fought, you know, we just, nobody really knew, you know, what his level was or what his level is really, you know? Um, so it's hard. Uh, but I, I know because of the guys that Corey's fought in his past, you know, uh, I know how tough he is. You know, we trained to get together a little bit. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it, he looked good. He went out there and did his thing, got on top and, and used his ground and pound. And he's always durable. He's always in shape. Um, I thought he looked really good. It's one of those fights where, I mean, from a stylistic perspective, obviously like you, like you, he's a great wrestler. Also like you yeah. possesses power on the feet, but looking into this fight, like this is one of those fights people look at and be like, Oh, this fight hasn't happened already. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, it hasn't. So it's kind of weird that it's happening now, but it's, 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 it's just interesting that you're in a grand prix You're you'll be a win away from, from fighting for a championship. Yeah. And now you guys are meeting. Is it kind of, kind of weird to think about that you spent all this time together in the UFC and now you're fighting in a different organization. Yeah, exactly. You know, he was always on my radar. And like I said, we trained together, you know, here and there, but he was always on my radar. And I figured that we would, cause we were both, you know, you know, top five, you know, top 10 in the UFC forever that we'd cross paths, but yeah, you never know, you know, I went over to Bellator and then uh, Bellator started signing a lot of these guys. And so, um, yeah, it's a fight looking forward to, I like the guy, you know, but we have, a uh, we have similar styles and, and he, he has a style of a guy that I fought a bunch, you know, these wrestlers that, um, you know, that are like me and I've always done well with, with that stylistic matchup. I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, he does a lot of things good, but I just feel like I'm, I'm better at him. So it's looking like July, you said for, for this fight. Yeah. You know, I think they want to kind of keep the, they're going to wait till after the Romero and, uh, Johnson fight to see, cause I think they want to keep them together. And I don't know if we do it on the same night. Um, but to give everybody a fair shake, you know, they don't want to, um, you know, have them fighting in May. And then, you know, if they're barring any injuries or whatever. So it, it's kind of fluid right now, uh, but they're looking around July, late summer. Will you be there for that fight as well for Rumble and in, uh, in Romero? I, I don't think so. You know, because it's out at the, you know, the East Coast and Connecticut and stuff. And you got to do the whole quarantine, all that kind of stuff. So who do you think wins that fight? Man, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be an awesome fight, you know, but we always look forward to these fights that look all crazy on paper. Right. And then it, it turns out not to be, you know, um, but I mean, Anthony's going to go in there and try to do what he does, which is throw bombs at you and knock you out. And Romero is just so unpredictable, you know, um, we'll see if he uses his wrestling and all that. And, and Romero's great. So that's one of the ones I, I can't call at all because, no. you know, Johnson has that it factor where he could end the fight at any time. And Romero's super athlete. You know, he, he's a good striker. 
he's in, in better, better wrestling, but he doesn't use his wrestling all the time, you know, but will he with Anthony? So that's what I'm excited to. I'm excited for that fight for sure. Yeah. It's going to be pure chaos and and I'm yeah. here for it, Ryan, but, uh, Oh yeah. So let me ask you about this. Corey, Corey had made some waves recently. He tweeted out something to the effect that, you know, UFC gave him a career, Bellator gave him the life that he's made, mm-hmm. you know, all this extra money more. I think he said like double he made in 15 fights with the UFC with bonuses. He seems like, obviously he's very happy with the decision to move to Bellator. One, what do you make of those comments? And two, like, how do you feel about your decision to sign with Bellator? Cause we're what, this is four years now, right? We're, we're approaching the four year anniversary of, of yeah. Penn hitting the paper. Yeah, I mean, he's right, you know, and, and that's why I came over too, you know, and, and uh, my first contract with them. And then I was able to renew my contract after, after I beat Fedor, you know, and uh, um, he's definitely right. That's why I love it over here. We're treated really well, and, you know, on the financial side too, you know, yeah, people look at what your disclosed pay is and all that. And they're like, oh, this, they're not even getting paid, you know, but that's, uh, you know, that's BS. There's, there's a bunch of other stuff going on. And so I'm super happy with my contract for sure. And, uh, you know, I have those same sentiments. We saw, uh, Vadim Nemkov get a win over Phil Davis. That was a fun fight. And, uh, you've been, you've been very clear that, you know, I know people are asking you about rematches and redemption tours and things like that, but you, you've been very clear. You have no preference who you fight in this grand prix. If you get the rematch with him, great. If not all good, you have your own things to, to, to worry about. What did you make of his performance against Phil? Yeah, he looked good. You know, he was, uh, I was interested to see. You know, because in their first fight, it was a three-round fight, right? And, and Phil got him really, really tired and had him in bad positions in the in the third round. And so I was excited to see, you know, a five-round fight with them. Um, and I was actually doing the the analyst desk at the at the fight, you know, and we we're talking about it, we're like, you know, Phil needs to go in there and he needs to threaten the takedown, get a takedown in one of the early rounds because we think he wins the later rounds, you know, but can he steal around in the beginning? Um, but Nemkov had really good output. You know, he, he, he had his uh, foot on the gas the whole time, good jab. And then, you know, he has a, has a good little sneaky right hand, obviously his kicks. Um, but I was impressed with his output, you know, and, and, uh, on the desk there, like I was saying with Phil, you know, I was watching it and I, and I know Phil like Phil a lot and we're like, come on, Phil, like faith, faith to take that, go get one, go try and make him think about it. Um, it was just a little too late, you know, and then, uh, ended up being a closer fight than I thought it was, you know, I thought Nemkov you know, had maybe four to one, you know, in the rounds, but, um, he looked good. So a- after your win over Leota Machida, Scott Coker speaks with the media and he said that they're planning to book an interim heavyweight title fight pretty soon. And an announcement will be forthcoming. And, you know, we're approaching the two year mark since you've been able to defend your title, but you know, between the grand prix and the pandemic, like that's completely understandable. The undisputed title will remain on your mantle, but when you found out that we we're going to do an interim title, how did you react to that? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. It is what it is. You know, um, they, we were prepared to defend the heavyweight title in uh, early March. You know, we thought they were coming back in early March. It was like, all right, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll defend the heavyweight title, obviously. I lost my light heavyweight. Um, but then they said, you know, they've merged with, you know, Showtime or whatever. So it took a little longer. And then they were doing this Grand Prix and they asked if I would come down. So just like the heavyweight one, you know, they said, hey, you can keep your light heavyweight belt, come up, do this Grand Prix, you know, and end up winning both. So I said the same thing with this one. You know, don't worry about the heavyweight. You're still the champ. You know, we we'll, might have to figure some things out, but please, you know, come join this tournament. And so um, doing what Bellator is asking, and I want to be part of this tournament anyway. And so if they got to do an interim, you know, uh, fight for 
for interim champ for heavyweight. That's fine. It just makes the next fight bigger, two belts on the line, basically. So I'm fine with it. Yeah, it's just more of a, I'm not going to say glorified, but it's a, just kind of bonus to a number one contender's fight, right? Like fighters yeah, make exactly. a little more money. Yeah, you know, I have the belt still, you know, and so it, it is what it is, you know. So, um, and I kind of put that on their plate too. I was supposed to fight Tim Johnson. I said, that's up. I was like, that's not up to me. It's up to Bellator, obviously, but maybe Tim Johnson wants to wait, you know, for the, for the shot, you know, cause, uh, you know, we were pretty much almost booked with that, you know? So, um, I guess they, they want to do that. So I, I assume it's him versus somebody else, you know? And so it is what it is. Who do you think should get that other spot? You think? I don't know. You know, I'd have to kind of, there's a few, like looking at the rankings on the, the Russian dude, maybe the Molden, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but uh, maybe those two. Yeah. I mean, Tim should definitely be there. There's no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, Tim should be. I mean, Tim's earned it. You know, we talked, like I said, when it was, we were almost booking that fight, you know, I re- reached out to him and said, hey, you know, let's let's do this. We'll do the fight, whatever. And then the light heavyweight deal came up. So, um, yeah, him and somebody else. So let's, let's discuss something that you've been announced to be a part of recently. You're now part of the, the clean energy team. You're joining the squad with, uh, with kill cliff energy drink and get biofuel. So how, how did this all come together for you? And, uh, how excited are you being involved in something like this? Yeah. You know, I've always had a good relationship with sponsors. You know, some of the fighters will just, you know, turn and burn basically, you know, wear a t-shirt for somebody, this, that. I mean, a lot of the, the clean energy crew from like the ethanol side, I've known and been with them for, man, almost like 12, 15 years. And we became good friends. You're good people. Um, and the same with uh, Kill Cliff, you know, kind of new Kill Cliff team. Um, but went out and met with those guys. You know, uh, we all have the same mindset. And, you know, I, I love the Kill Cliff stuff, their CBD drinks, all that kind of stuff. So um, I, like I was saying, I don't like to just have a sponsor just to get a little check. You know, I want to be involved with these kind of companies, you know, and, uh, and so, yeah, I'm enjoying it for sure. So what are some of the things that you're going to be doing sort of in representation of, of this whole thing? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. You know, well, Kill, Kill Clef always has some cool stuff going on. You know, we were going to do a dog sledding race, but <laughs> I had my fight. So I missed that. So that's, I love, you know, doing stuff, you know, I want to be a part of, you know, their, their whole team too, as far as going out and doing the dog sledding stuff, doing this, you know, we, with the, um, the get wild feel, all those guys are up in South Dakota, you know, and we'd go up there, we'd have like a, a pheasant hunt and stuff like that. And, um, I know these guys, there's a lot, a lot of them are my friends and all that. And so that's what I try to surround myself with. And I think part of this as well, cause you know, like myself, you're, you know, we want to leave things behind as, as parents, as fathers, you know, it, it's kind of a no brainer. Like we want to create positive and safe environments for them, leave them in a better place, so to speak. Was that like a big part of this, of you saying yes and agreeing to this and being a part of this as well? A hundred percent, you know, um, you know, with the get biofuel, you know, it's, it's bigger in the Midwest and, and hopefully it'll, it'll start coming out. You know, I'm on the West coast, basically in Arizona, hopefully start coming out and rolling out to the rest of the nation. But yeah, it's just clean, renewable energy, you know, and, uh, you know, I've been around a bunch of their plants, um, in the Midwest and stuff like that. And so, you know, on that side, and then, you know, with kill cliff, you know, they, their whole deal too, is they give back to Navy SEAL foundation. And I work with a a lot of the uh, military and military groups and whatnot. We've given a lot uh, to different 
you know, donations, to different charities, you know, um, I get to do cool stuff. Like went to the Navy SEAL land warfare class, you know, this and that. So I just like being involved in that and uh, just kind of helping out and giving back however I can. Best Kill Cliff flavor. I like the, the purple CBD drink. It's called the goat. The goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. So there you yeah. go. Um, can I just ask you about this? I don't know why just, yeah. it's the new cycle. It drives you crazy. But uh, did you watch the fight between Ben Askren and Jake Paul? Was that something you, that was even on your radar? Well, I just saw like the, you know, the clips after, <laughs> but I didn't watch, I didn't get the fight or anything like that, you know, but it, it was everywhere after, but yeah, just kind of a circus, you know? And uh, I like Ben, but I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen. You know, Ben's not a boxer. He's a great wrestler, a great, you know, great on the ground. But going into a straight boxing match, you know, and Jake Paul, he, yeah, say what you say about him, whatever. But, you know, he's an athlete. He's big. He's taking it very seriously. And so I was like, man, this is going to be, this is not, not going to be very good. And then I, I didn't realize it was going to be that bad. But, but yeah, it was bad. And now he's picking fights with DC, man. Like, what's going I know. on here? When's, when's he, <laughs> now he's going to come pick fights with you? Like, what, 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 I mean, for, what is this? for his angle, you know, he's, He's getting the eyeballs, you know, he's getting paid. So more power to him, you know, but uh, a lot of the MMA communities, they're not too happy. No, I mean, he's found a niche. People are talking. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I guess success for his end, but yeah. now we have to keep talking about it. I don't know. But so people are going to, you know, they don't always have to like you and just like the heel, right? If people hate you, they want to pay, watch your fight to watch you get beat up. And that's how it works. And he's doing it right. Great having the Bellator heavyweight champion Ryan Bader on the show for the first time. Love the Grand Prix. This light heavyweight Grand Prix is just crazy. The fight with Corey Anderson will be fun. He's saying sometime in July. We'll see. I know an official date hasn't been announced yet, but we get the final opening round matchup next Friday, May 7th. Anthony Johnson versus Yoel Romero. I can't believe we're seeing this fight, and I'll be there for that event. I'm very excited about that. So... Lots of coverage. My first first event working for MMA Fighting, and I'm going on the road to cover. So hopefully this is the first of many, and I'm excited about that. But, of course, we get another big week in MMA this week. One on TNT4 coming up on Wednesday. Ang Lang Tsang defends his light heavyweight title against the man who beat him for his middleweight title, Rainier DeRitter. That is an interesting matchup. Of course, Vitaly Big Dash. Tested positive for COVID-19. He was out of the fight. DeRitter taking this fight on really short notice, a little over a week. So that's a fun fight. Eddie Alvarez is back after his DQ loss got overturned to a no contest. That was interesting news. And the PFL is back on Thursday after a wild night to kick off their season. Anthony Pettis lost to Clay Collard. We saw Bubba Jenkins beat Lance Palmer. We saw Marcin Held lose to Natasha Schultz. I mean, holy moly. Crazy. Crazy. Three massive upsets. Of course, the main event for Thursday's card for the PFL is Roy McDonald's PFL debut. It's finally happening. Takes on Curtis Millinder. UFC is back on Saturday as well. UFC Vegas 25. Bad one headlined by Dominic Reyes versus Yuri Prohashka. That's going to be a fun card. Got some interviews coming up for that card as well. You'll find those later on this week on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. We got one more guest to get to, but before that happens... Just once again, a big thank you to all of you for watching and listening to the program, to all of our programs, the post-fight coverage on Saturday night, 
Really happy with the numbers there. Thank you so much for that. It means a lot. And a big thank you to Casey Lydon, of course, on the production. Cool Alex and Jose Young's on the graphics and the social media. Just heroes all around. But listen, have a heck of a week, everybody. We wrap things up with my chat from this past Thursday with Frank Mir. All right, so real quick, just to address what I'll surely see in the comments, I'm on location right now in Boston at my parents' house, so I'm not in Command Center 2.0, so apologies for uh, the different look, for the uh, lack of video and audio quality on my end, but let us say hello once again to the former UFC heavyweight champion, Frank Mir, who stepped into the boxing ring this past Saturday, took on a former two-time cruiserweight world champion in Steve Cunningham, and he went the distance with him on the Triller Fight Club car, which is something he should be incredibly proud of. Frank Mir, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. And actually, I thought the fight was four to two. I had a 56-54, or excuse me, 58-56 when I was walking in the corner. And I was like, well, maybe one of the rounds I kind of stole at the end because I landed that good shot at the end of the third. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe one went my way and I got this to a draw. And then when they started announcing the scores of 60-54, I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Really? Not one round? I mean, I know it's boxing versus MMA, but be fair. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I thought it was a little bit closer than the scorecards indicated, but congratulations, man. I know it's not typical to congratulate somebody after a loss, but I feel in this case, it's completely warranted. How does this experience all feel a few days later? You know, it's been a great experience. You know, obviously my stock has gone up more in this loss than most of my victories. Um, and I think that's because really, honestly, people are, are really appreciative of the journey. They realize the battle that, you know, that I went out there and fought, what I put on the line. Obviously, they can see how hard I've been working to go ahead and go out there and do this on a technical side, on a nutrition side, on a lifting side. And so, um, you know, I think that's actually probably is a good trend. There was a lot of things that happened that night that I think are bad examples to our children. And uh, I think that at least that people can appreciate that going out there and being a warrior regardless of the results is something that we can admire in our culture. And um, I'm very proud to represent that and help guide other people to go and say, Hey, look, man, it's not always about winning and losing. You know, sometimes it's about how you play the game and how you fight and how you show up. And those are things that are within our control. So I feel like that takes stress off of people to go, Hey, just go out there and perform as well as you can and let the chips fall where they may. And, um, you know, and look at my situation that I'm at. I agree with with a lot of what you just said. So I'm curious when you say that there are certain things that happened that weren't great examples for the children. What, what do you mean specifically? Well, I get that it was also a concert, and there's a certain element to the concert, you know, uh, genre that you know, you know, that maybe would make a lot of parents of their you know 11 and 15 year old kids uncomfortable. Um, I've never felt uncomfortable bringing my children to a fight, and my kids go to concerts all the time. Um, uh, but the atmosphere and kind of how that the, especially, you know, the pundits, whatever you want to call them, the, 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 the power of the hosts were basically behaving the atmosphere they would have said, if that had been a sold out arena, I don't think I'd be comfortable having my children there to say the least, you know, as far as, you know, you know, Hey, look, I'm not anti-drugs at all. As far as weed, you know, I, you know all the more power to you. Personally, it's not my cup of tea, but that's just because it makes me lazy and I want to just eat and sleep. And I already have the urges to do that. But I have no urge with other people. I think it should completely be legal. I'm all I'm very pro marijuana, but I, I don't know. Just you know, everybody being high on a show, you know, drinking and hanging out and partying. I'm just like, ah, that's a little too much, guys. You know what I mean? I mean, I think there has to be certain people have a certain character that we completely get and understand, like Snoop Dogg. I get it. That's him. That's who he is. 
And, uh, you know, if you hire Snoop Dogg and you expect something else, you're the idiot. You know what I mean? Like, and he brings a huge fan base and he's the cool guy. But as far as like some of the other guys that should have been brought on, and I don't think that's, I don't really blame Triller for that. You know, they brought Al Bernstein on to be a legitimate boxing host. They brought on De La Hoya to be a legitimate guy. Um, obviously, you can't control in what shape he showed up. But I still wonder how come the producer listening in, watching us, doesn't go, hey, man, let's go and let him know that he's having a rough night. We're going to cut it short. We're going to get him out of here because, you know, he's embarrassing us. He's embarrassing himself. And he's just not, he's, uh, you know, he's upsetting a lot of people. I mean, if you're sitting there with your phone, you can see that it almost overshadowed my fight that I'm having as MMA versus boxing in a boxing match. And now the topic became how awful and what the hell is Oscar on? Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I, I talked to Ray Flores, who is one of the play-by-play guys, about that situation. He said basically, like, listen, Oscar's not fighting for two months. He wa- he was having fun, so I kind of let him go. And you know, maybe in hindsight, he regrets that. But is it I, true? I regret- yeah, yeah, I, I, no, because there still have to be a professionalism to show up. I mean, right. hey, you want to cut loose and let go? There's people that have met me out when I'm out after a fight. I have a couple drinks. I've commentated shows, and afterwards, if you see me at a bar. I'm having a beer. I'm smoking a cigar. Um, that's when it's time to play. I think that, that was a bad example to show children that you don't play while you're supposed to be working. I mean, we can all have fun while we're at work. I enjoy my job and I commentate. You know, I mean, people could hear me in the past for ACB, you know, when I'm being uh, uh, commentating with uh, Brian Lacey. We were making jokes, having fun. But as far as cracking out the champagne before the show's over with, no, you don't party before it's done. Like, Get your work done, be a professional, and then, hey, cut loose and enjoy yourself. So I'm curious because uh, one of my colleagues was there covering the card, and he said he could hear the commentary throughout the surround sound speakers in the arena. Could you hear his commentary while you were fighting? I did. And um, it was distracting to, to, to me a little bit. I was more upset when they were talking shit about Cunningham. You know, like now, you know, first he's going to murder me, and I expected the first round or two. But then as I'm listening to them talk about Cunningham, it's like, wait a minute, you guys aren't giving me credit for what I'm doing. You're just trying to say that he's no good, that this guy is a chump. Like to me, it was just such a a loser mentality and not how to commentate the fight that I'm like, really, I I would expect more from somebody who's been in here at the highest levels. So that was upsetting. And then the other thing is that in in the judges, they got to own up on that. Really not one round you gave me because you were listening to the commentary and it was being piped in and it influenced the judges. One of the judges, I think, had it the most correct when he had, us uh, again, the 58-56 score, you know, four rounds to two, you know. But as far as it was a shutout, six rounds, I didn't win a single round like that. I didn't agree with. And I felt that, that was completely on the commentators. Well, it's not their fault that they're influencing the uh, the judges should not be influenced by that. They need to channel out and just focus on the fight itself. But uh, that's what happens. When we last spoke, you talked about like the, the 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 challenges that it was getting into the boxing, and you were starting to enjoy it. So I'm curious, like, what was more difficult, like the training, the build up to the fight itself, the preparation, or kind of the in fight mentality, where you know it's not MMA, it's boxing. You can't just go in there and shoot for takedowns, things like that. Like, what was more difficult for you? That actually was. It was funny because you know you train hard when you're sparring in the gym, but it's never 100. There's never that I am trying to completely put this guy to sleep. Um, and obviously that trigger gets pulled during the fight. So it put me in an elevated state of mind. And then I found out that I was battling myself. 
not on the outside as far as my jab, my cross. A lot of those things are extremely similar to what I do in MMA. And I actually I was using the same boxing I would use in an MMA fight. I didn't really specialize to be a boxer. I was being an MMA fighter using my MMA skills that were legal. But then when I got inside, I thought it would be easy to shut that off. And it wasn't. Um, and it made it me a little bit slower on the inside. Um, oh. All good. Sorry, you guys see me? I did. Oops. There we go. There we go. So anyway, so that was a battle. Every time I was inside, not holding the back of his head when I threw punches, not digging an overhook, turning and throwing shots. Even so, not so much as not trying to throw a knee or an elbow, which I accidentally think I threw one over in my head. They were like, <laughs> but, uh, and not kicking, but just my brain seeing it and identifying them, having to constantly say, no, don't do that. No, can't do that. Stop, stop. Because the one thing about the state of uh, Georgia, the athletic commission, the rule on the books is if I get disqualified by a foul, so if I foul my opponent, and it could be unintentional as far as, let's say I step behind his leg and I, I throw a punch and I sweep him. Well, he blows his knee, fights over with it. That's deemed a foul. I lose my whole purse. And I just knew that would be a difficult conversation to have with the wife. So that distracted me a little bit during the fight. Maybe after a few more boxing matches, I can clear my mind of that. Because I don't typically have that much of an issue in jiu-jitsu and when I wrestle, not to hit people. But uh, boxing is just you know, very similar to fighting as far as this type of intensity of hitting each other. And I was definitely struggling not to do MMA. Did you kind of fall in love with it? Because it sounds like you want to do it, do it some more. Well, I think it's definitely something that made me. Even today, I was sparring at Syndicate. And now this is the first time I got to spar with kicks and takedowns all together. And right off the bat, I mean, my legs felt a little fatigued from throwing kicks, but I threw a lot of high volume to get kind of break the ice again. But as far as the improvement, my hands are so much better right now that that helped build me as a martial artist. So, of course, I'm going to continue to do boxing matches. Uh, and actually, I'm going to add in, I would like to do some kickboxing matches because I think those will also relate very well to MMA. You said one of the most important reasons you took this opportunity was that you wanted to make your children proud. And I know your daughter, Bella, was in, her, in your corner. You wanted to make her proud and you wanted her to say that she was proud of you when you left the squared circle after a job well done. What did she say to you? What was your family's reaction after the fight itself? Oh, they were ecstatic. They were very much like, wow, dad, you know. You know, my wife even said, she goes, honestly, Frank, I was like, just don't get knocked down the first round. Don't get knocked down the first round. You know, and then the second round hits and she says, oh, my God, you made it into the second round. You know, and then every round she just got more excited, more excited. And then she was just almost ready to she just started crying for me. She's all, baby, you did it. You said you wanted to go out there and show that you could box with a world champion. And you're in the heat of what you love. She sees how much I sacrifice. And you know, so, you know, my wife's in there crying, going like he's doing it. He's living his life right now. What have you made? I mean, because, you know, being an MMA so long, the MMA fans, the MMA community, it's almost like the hardest group to please and yeah. get positive feedback from. But you've gotten a lot of praise, a, a lot of props, as the kids say. How has that made you feel? It feels good. You know, obviously being recognized as somebody that can represent the martial arts community because I'm an MMA fighter. You know, a lot of times some people get that confused. They call me a jujitsu guy. I'm like, guys, I'm, I've done well in jujitsu. But I'm as much as a jiu-jitsu guy now as I'm a boxer, right? I wouldn't start calling myself a professional boxer, even though technically I am. Um, uh, MMA is my, my, my love, and that's what I really want to push up to the forefront and represent. And so I, the fact that I took on this role and, and, and represented mixed martial arts for a second time in my life, <laughs> where I was the guy versus you know, the MMA guy you know, holding our honor, 
you know, I, I'm glad that I was able to represent, and especially, obviously, you know, I was disappointed with what happened to Astrid. But uh, had we gone 0-2 that night, as far as, I know I still lost, but I feel like at least we put a win in the MMA market for me, for what I was able to do to help pull the weight for the rest of the guys. Yeah, I mean, if you're an MMA fan, obviously the main event was an unfortunate ending. But I remember that the last conversation we had, you said you had a lot of respect for what Jake Paul has been doing. He's been taking it seriously, and he goes out and stops Ben Askren in under two minutes. What, what did you think of it overall? Yeah, actually, I was impressed with. Look, Jake Paul, you know, and Logan Paul, they've made their name by being controversial and, and putting out different videos and their marketing. Um, my cup of tea? No, it's not my style. But you know what? I realize that there's lots of different people in the world. There's all different kinds of styles. You know, hey, there's different pizza for everybody, right? And so, uh, but the one thing that I can say about you know them is that they train hard. He shows up to the gym. He puts the work and he does what his coaches. You know, I'm friends with BJ Flores. The guy does whatever he asks him to do. He goes, hey, we got to wait today. You know, we're going for a run. We're going for a run. I'm going to have you spar these two pros three rounds each. He does it. And so the, that in itself is a good example to the rest of the guys. Like, hey. He's jumping in there in boxing, and he might not have taken the most conventional route, but he's paying his dues. He's fighting and training hard. He's bleeding. He's sweating. I have nothing but uh, no, I have nothing but love and respect for that. Would you compete on another Trilla card like this again? Yeah, there's a few things that I would like them to make some adjustments on that I think just needs to be brought to their attention. Obviously, they have Melissa Hendricks, who's phenomenal on the fight side. You know, their matchmaker, matchmaker Peter was phenomenal to work with. So a lot of the people had all the best of intentions, but this was a crazy monster that no one had ever been a part of. I mean, so you have, you know, production down there that's responsible for the, the, the music video or whatever, the, 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 the music industry aspect of it. You have the commentators and what they're doing with the celebrities. Then you have the fight production trying to go on. And all these guys are trying to intermingle and work together. I mean, I was at one point I was impressed it actually went off just because there was I've never seen so many moving parts. And so are there some hiccups? Absolutely. Um, you know, I would like the show to be able to be watched a little bit more of a general audience. I feel that they hit their market audience, but I I'm also a little disappointed. That I feel like and not from, an, you know, a lot of it has to do with what Oscar did. And, but I mean, a lot of the. I think it was a little too excessive with the weed and everything else and the drinking and, and the party. And it's like, Hey, you know what? You know, you're, you're alienating a lot of our mainstream America right now. You know, let's kind of, you know, maybe tone it down a little bit, the top flavor to this, but we don't have to be it to where, you know, as a parent, I'm feeling uncomfortable if my kids are watching this. I know you were originally supposed to fight Antonio Tarver. Is there a part of you that, that was kind of bummed you didn't get that opportunity? Or is it almost better that you got to fight Steve Cunningham, who a lot of people figured was a, was a tougher matchup for you? Oh, Steve was absolutely, at this point in his career, a tougher matchup. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, uh, uh, Tarver was a much more winnable uh, prospect for me um, uh, than, uh, than Cunningham. But uh, that being said, you know, I mean, Cun you know, uh, Tarver has a much more of a household name. You know, you know, look, he has wins over uh, Roy Jones Jr. You know, he's a light heavyweight champ of the world. You know, it, even as an amateur, he was a world champion in 96. And he was also in movies. I mean, he got to do the movie role, you know, a pretty major role in Rocky Six, which I really loved that movie. It was awesome. And uh, so, uh, you know, as far as name value, it was huge. But Triller brought so many eyes on it that it kind of made up for the fact that I didn't have that superstar marquee name. And I think Cunningham was a phenomenal dance partner. He saw somebody that... But like uh, now I've exchanged information with him. Like next time I'm getting close to a boxing match, I would love to be able to go out there and spar with him 
and pick his brain and use him as somebody to uh, to uh, help set me up as far as uh, make me a better boxer. So I know you just fought on Saturday and, you know, in MMA, we, we, we let you savor the flavor for very little time before we ask what's next. But do you kind of have an idea? Like, I know you signed with BKFC last year. Do you think your next fight will be with them? Like, how do you kind of see this next step going in terms of your competition? Yeah, it's either BKFC or actually Malky might have something going here in June. Uh, I don't want to let too much out. I don't know how much he doesn't want to talk about, but uh, uh, possibly a fight in Florida where I would really love to be able to fight because, you know, my father's from Cuba. I have a lot of extended family there in, uh, in Florida. And so um, I would like to be able to go there and um, and possibly do, a, you know, an MMA match next or BKFC match with the bare knuckle, which if I do the bare knuckle, I'm honestly really interested in showcasing against a high-level boxer. So that way I can also show that, hey, look, if we're both on our stand-up hands, if you let me go ahead and hit from the clinch, um, this isn't going to be as uh, close as it was in, in our boxing match. Will you watch UFC 261 on Saturday? Of course. Yeah, I keep bubble all the fights. I do the there best I can. There you go. Uh, thoughts on the main event? On the on the main event between Usman and Masvidal, is there any, any? Can you see this fight going any differently than the first time? I know they got full camps now, but do you see this fight going any, any differently? Yeah, I think that I look, you know, Usman's a monster. That guy is phenomenal. And, you know, right now I had to put money He's somebody who's a very underrated, you know. Um, so the guy's grappling is able to be good enough to hopefully he can stay off Usman and make this a stand up war, which Usman's awesome at too. Great switch dancing, cutting different levels, but but uh, you know I think that uh, I think it's going to be still a hard fight for uh, to be much closer, and I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls it off. Frank, I appreciate the time, man. I know you're getting ready to go train again because you're a wild man, but I think I speak for pretty much everybody in the MMA community in the media space. We uh, we tip the proverbial cap to you, sir, for your showing on Saturday. Well done. I know you wanted to go in there and get the victory, but uh, this is a victory in itself. So congratulations again. Thank you for the time and uh, all the best well, to you. Congratulations well, to Bell as well. You got to oh, say Mike. Hey, sure. kids, he was asking, did, you, did I win? Did you guys, as far as, did I earn your pride? We're all that's, training together, hanging out as a family, and, and they say they're proud of me, so we're good. I won. That's better than 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 any win in itself, better man. Better than any amount of money or anything else. Yes. It, oh, by the way, did did I see Bella added to the uh, the trophy case? Is that is that accurate? As far as wrestling, didn't she win? Oh, to, yeah, did she Bella did. She did. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I spoke to you about that yet. I mean, I've done interviews on it. Uh, Bella became the national champ uh, here uh, two weekends ago. Was it three weekends? So she won nationals, which was a phenomenal match. I couldn't have written it better. Like I'm like Bella, when they make a movie about your life, this scene is going to make people cry. Because here she goes out there, she's going to get her head wrapped She's more established as a wrestler, has won things longer than Bella has. She goes out there and they give her a takedown at the beginning, which I've watched a couple times. I said it was a takedown, but so she's on bottom. The girl saw that the shoulder was taped and was smart. She went after Bella and was able to turn her twice. Uh, Bella basically spent the first period not getting pinned, you know, as the clock ran out. And then, uh, so we're down eight to zero. Bella gets up. McGregor, her wrestling coach, fired her up, talked to her about what needed to be done. I calmed her back down when she looked over at me. I was like, hey, just start over, man. Just, you know, reset. 
And she went out there, picked top, which people that know wrestling knows you normally don't do that. And she went out there and stuck her in 30 seconds. And uh, the girl was a legitimately tough girl. So, I mean, to do what she did to win the way she did, like, I mean, it had me. I went in the locker room. I went and cried for those. I didn't embarrass her. <laughs> Amazing. Congratulations to her. Congratulations to you, Frank. I appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the training, my man. Thank you so much. All right, man. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.